Welcome back to part two of my interview with Lynn Markova. For all the work that we have to do and that we should keep doing, I don't want us to sit on our laurels oh, and say, you know, mi misogyny ended. Or anything ended. And or I, anything. I actually, I think that's a strong temptation of a wonderful church like ours. Because we have so many programs and we're so rich and we have such beautiful liturgy that it's so tempting to just sometimes say, oh, look at us. Yeah. Aren't we fabulous? And yes, we're absolutely fabulous, but that doesn't mean we should ever stop the work. The work always goes on. And the minute, I, I know this from my music background, actually. The minute I started thinking, I'd get an aria or an oratorial piece, and I'd start thinking, yeah, that's pretty good. I'd lose my focus, and it wouldn't be, I wouldn't be focusing on the greater, the greater good, the greater glory, the glory of God, the, what we're called to do. And I think that's always a temptation when you have a fantastic organization like ours to rest on our laurels. And I'm really glad that we're not. Even as you're looking at wrapping up your time mm -hmm. here, there's always a road ahead. Mm -hmm. And I think some ways that you will still continue to be involved will be on Sunday mornings themselves. Because oh, for sure. you have a lot of ministries that you do during a service as mm -hmm. well. Can yeah. you tell us about some of those? Absolutely. So the first one I got involved in is Reading the Word, which is also known as Lector, mm -hmm. Reader in some circles. And that just involves being, um, we have someone who, who does a schedule and they assign the various readers, you're one of them yourself actually, uh, a reading and then you study it and under, learn to mark it and understand it and unpack it and prepare it and then on Sunday you show up on time and at the appointed moment you are verged up into the pulpit, uh, escorted by a verger, and then you read, or the ambo, excuse me, it's not a pulpit, so you are verged up into the ambo and then you read the word. And it, it is a very, it's a very moving experience. And um, because this is actually sort of pointing to what I was just talking to. It's never about you. It's about the words and trying to convey the words to the people. And you're just the intermediary. And so whenever I, I try not to focus on, oh, that sounds really cool when I'm doing my preparation, because it's not about me. It's about conveying the words. And this is where having a vocal performance background comes in really handy because I'm taught, I was taught how to breathe and how to project properly. And so when we were just ta talking about doing the reading, you asked me to demonstrate my lector voice, so I will do so in this room. A reading from the book of, Pro of the prophet Isaiah. Thus says the Lord God. Did you notice how I'm enunciating? Yeah. And actually I'll turn and I'll do it so I'm facing the further wall so you can hear it even more. Um, I don't even have a good word of scripture to read, so I'll do the same thing. A reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Now that time I was really enunciating and slowing down, so yeah. it's all it's all very mindful. Yeah. And I mean that's one of the things about our worship experience that I didn't know until I became involved in it, is while it's very it looks very smooth and very seamless, and actually after you've done it for a while, you pretty much know what you're supposed to do and know where you're supposed to go, but it's never done without thought and preparation and care and attentiveness. And so I've actually been serving as a lector. It's one of my longest ministries. And one of the most moving occasions of my entire ministry of lector was when I was invited to read on September 11th. The day off. September 11th, the day of the attack. Right. We had what we called, I don't know if we called it an emergency liturgy, but it sort of felt that way. We pulled together sure. this amazing liturgy um, that afternoon, and um, I was invited to read. Actually, I was invited to be one of the two lay readers, and we each got to read... Um, he, he read two long readings, and I read three, two short and one longish reading. We were, we were the ones who did most of the reading, and then there was a group of interfaith clergy sitting on the altar with us. Oh. And then the Seattle Peace Chorus did uh, Barber's Agnus Day, and it was one of the most horrible, beautiful, wrenching experiences of my spiritual life. 
And I remember um, getting getting up to go read in the pulpit, in the ambo, excuse me, I keep saying the wrong words, getting up to read, <laughs> walking up to read in the ambo, and just feeling this, it was on Franck that I was reading, and, and I was just feeling really constrained, and I, I just remember praying and saying, okay, God, please give me the words to get through this, and it went really well. I was given the words, and then beautiful, beautiful readings. And that really, that was very helpful in terms of it, you know, after that, I thought, even when the presiding bishop came last summer and I was invited to read, I thought, well, I, got, I read on September 11th. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was amazing, too. Amazing, amazing visit. But that very joyful occasion, that yes, was, definitely. as opposed to the September 11th reading, that was so difficult. But again, something we find in common, even in terms of joy mm-hmm. and in terms of tragedy and heartbreak, mm-hmm. is that work. Well, and, and the Word of God is such a wonderful thing because you will hear, and one of the, our church's liturgy is such a wonderful thing because you hear the same psalms and the same readings over and over again in a three-year cycle. You can appro- you get hear the same words over and over again over this cycle, and you're in different spots in your life. Uh-huh. And so it's sort of very poignant sometimes when you hear them and you realize, oh, I was in this spot, and this is where I am now, and you know who knows where I'll be next time. And they work on you differently, and where you, and it's really exciting, sort of be in different spots of your life, and you can be approach someone in times of great joy and approach them in times of great sorrow, and they're always there. The words are always there. I see you. You're a very regular assisting lay minister. Mm. How did that ministry come about? Well, I was chalice bearer first, and uh, Sue Tate asked me to, after I was confirmed back in two thousand and two, I became Eucharistic minister, also known as chalice bearer. Uh, one of my clergy friends from a different church calls it God's white staff. <laughs> and that's a lovely lovely it's 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 um a lovely ministry in that you get to really be part of the community in a very intimate yet not personal way in that um we are the ones who stand up at the altar in the half in a, in a semicircle while the priest um consecrates the elements and then we are given chalices to feed the to to not feed the congregation i don't know you don't feed people wine what would you call it Give, serve. <laughs> You're given chalices to offer the sacraments to the sacrament of um, communion to the congregation. And so, you know, probably at least once a month for the past, since 2002. So, how many years is that? 17 years. Wow. Almost 17 years I have been offering the chalice to someone at some service or another. Um, took a little break in the middle, but I have been doing it fairly consistently ever since. And it's just... It's, an, it's sort of like reading in that it's not about you. It's about taking the sacrament and bringing it to the pre- every person that you give and, and getting out of the way, which is we all wear the same, you know, we all wear the same long white robe. We all wear black shoes. We don't wear, you know, a lot of stuff. That Nothing draws that draws attention, towards, attention to you. yourself. Sometimes you're giving the chalice to people you've never seen before and you'll yeah. never see again. I mean, Christmas Eve is an amazing. And and it is, it's, it's, it's like one-on-one, and you have this very brief, in, you know, intense moment to provide. But it's also, again, it's so not about me. It's just about being present with them as, they, as I offer they receive, or as they, as they receive. And then, what's it like being an assisting lay minister? Oh, that's, it's so much fun. <laughs> um, I actually uh, became one about a year and a half ago, and um, almost two years, no, two years now. Two years ago. I think years your ago. first time was at uh, Epiphany? Epiphany. Right. Because I remember that was the first time I'd ever seen you vested. Yes, that was the first time I'd ever been vested. <laughs> wow. And um, 
Yes, that was, and I had really no idea what I was doing. I was very grateful to the dean for talking me through, you know, okay, do this here, do this here. And he did it very quietly, so hopefully you all didn't notice that I was getting instruction from the altar. Live. Live instruction, and I did, and I did not mess up. And it was, it was just, it's a lovely experience in that it's, it's sort of like a combination of being a child bearer and being senior warden. Really? Yeah, because you're serving the community, and you're, and you're, but you're leading. But you're leading unobtrusively, and it's never about you. You're just the person to the presider's left in, in the nice outfit. <laughs> it's called a tunicle. And, you know, it, you're at the altar and you're present and you're doing these things. And they're very much beautiful liturgical dance, so it's, it's a pleasure to participate because you're just making sure that the presider has the words and that the other Eucharistic ministers have the chalices and that the presider's you know, hands get washed. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I'm up there, I really do think of myself as the presider's right-hand person to, you know, available in case, like, they have, if they start coughing, I'll get them water or a cough drop or, mm-hmm. um, you know, essentially whatever they need. If they need my program, they can have my program, you know, um, that kind of thing. And so it is, it's a little, it is a little bit sort of like being senior warden in that you're up there and you're visible and everyone can, mm-hmm. you're leading. But if you're doing it right, nobody's going to notice. Of course. It is very much that kind of role. And... Uh, it's an honor. It's, it's also fun. So what I'm hearing is that even as you're leaving, oh, properly leaving the role of senior warden, mm-hmm. there's a part of that that you will continue to serve in oh, as assisting lay minister. Well, it'll be part of my life, whatever I do. You know, I've learned a lot of skills. I've learned yeah. so much. Um, this congregation has taught so much. I've learned a lot about leadership. Um, How has this changed you? I have a lot more confidence, I think, is the big thing. Um, I think I had to believe that I had gifts that people wanted, and now I do, and are helpful to the community, and that right. were useful to the, like the general good, and that so I'm much more likely. And it's part of this might just be getting older, um, much more likely to speak up when I have something to say, and much more likely to say, "Wait a minute, over here." Um, and we'll continue to. I will look for opportunities to continue to do this kind of thing, not necessarily in this congregation, certainly in this congregation in a different role. Hmm. If I were to do a different role here. But to really say, okay, you know, I, I do, in fact, have something to offer, which is, you know, I mentioned earlier, I was struggling with imposter syndrome. Yeah. And, and um, actually, I, I meant to mention this earlier, so maybe we can... When I became senior warden, like I said, I was struggling with something, you know, like, you know, wow. <laughs> what am, are we sure we got this right? Am I, am I really called to be doing this? This is a big job, and, you know, all these great leaders in quotes, you know, have done this. And they are great leaders, by the way. Yeah. I mean, um, and then we had a Good Friday liturgy in 2000, I think 16 it was, my first year. And um, I was sitting with a friend. I wasn't sitting in my accustomed spot. Like most most good Episcopalians, I have like my own general area marked out <laughs> in the pew. And I mean, I'm, I'm willing to move around occasionally if someone else is sitting, got there first, and that's fine. But I'd seen this friend I hadn't seen in a number of years, and I went over and sat with her in, in, on the right side of the church. And just as the service was starting, a gentleman came in who seemed to be a bit agitated. And I've never seen him before, and quite tall, quite slender, like jittery. Yeah. And he walked all the way around the side of the of the church, and he came and plopped himself down in the front row. And he really did plop. I mean, and I thought, oh, okay, I'm going to keep an eye on just this and make sure everything's okay. I'm sure it's fine. And right around the time of the, um, I'm not sure I want to use this, but we'll right around the story yeah right around the time that they started the passion the gentleman jumped up and put his hands in a horizon and he started declaiming something about moses Moses. and i was out of my seat so fast i don't even remember moving and i went over to him and i i was like 
I don't even remember thinking anything. I just went over to him and I held up my hand and I said, why don't you come outside with me and you can tell me all about your vision of the prophet Moses? I had no idea what he would do if I said, if I would do if he said no. But he took my hand and I tucked it in my arm and I let, and he's like two feet taller than I am, yeah. at least. I mean, he was okay. close to seven feet tall. And I led him down the aisle as do, and he went with me as docilely as a lamb. And we went outside and he talked to me about the prophet Moses. I didn't understand him. I'm not sure if he had some kind of drug thing going on, a drug issue going on, some kind of drug issue going on, or if there was some kind of mental illness yeah. at play. And I just stood there and was present yeah. with him while he told me about Moses and Abraham. And uh, at one point during the, um, I'm not sure you call it conversation, um, it was one point during the conversation, the interaction, I looked up and uh, Canon Malcolm McLaurin had followed me outside and peeked around the colonnade to make sure I saw him. And yeah. then I was just able to be present with this gentleman because Good. I knew that if he seemed fine, but if, if things turned, that I would have someone would, else would be there. Of course. And that, I think that's a lovely image, actually, of the community, knowing that someone else was there. I was there for this gentleman. Malcolm was there for me. We were all, you know, present. Present. We and. Present. Then the gentleman walked away and did a very circuitous route of the front lawn, back and forth, like a, like a you know, I'm not sure what this was, it's like a maze or those board games that we used to play as children. Did you play those? Like uh, Life or something? Snakes and Candy, Ladders. Candyland. Yeah, Snakes and Ladders without the, without the ladder. <laughs> and I've never seen him again, but I, I pray for him. Yeah, I remember that too. And I was brand new, so I, I, I barely knew you. I barely I knew Malcolm. I don't think you knew me at all. Uh, yeah, but, I mean, yeah, maybe by name, but obviously no, no association mm -hmm. beyond that. And, uh, and then, I, then I got home, and I thought, you know, then I thought about everything that could go wrong, of course, because, you know, why not? And yeah. didn't sleep tremendously well, but as I finally dropped off to sleep, I thought, okay, maybe there is something to this leadership thing. Maybe I am called into this leadership role. Because you didn't even give it a second oh, no. thought. Well, and, you know, I didn't, absolutely not. And I was talking to some of the other um, folks the next day, and, you know, one of them was like, you know, I, I thought about going over, but this is a very big, strapping man. And he said I, the, inter the the level of interaction would have been different. Yeah. And because I'm, you know, relatively petite and female and look relatively harmless, um, you know, it, it probably did ch help the interaction. But, you know, I hope that guy's okay wherever he is. I hope he comes back. And God willing, if we do our work right, this... There will be a place for him here. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. What's the first thing you're going to do when you finish your term? Oh, wow. After I hand up my keys. After you hand up your keys. Jury duty. <laughs> yep, that's true. Service never ends, Well, does it, it seems really quite unfair because I was minding my own business innocently and sorting my mail like a month ago or whatever, and I'm like, you're kidding, right? Because it literally is the very first business day after oh. my term ends. My term ends sometime the weekend of the 16th, I think. 17th or whenever you knew the new folks are commissioned and I'm to report down to King County Superior Courthouse at 8 a.m. on the 19th God has a sense of humor very much so yeah now if I find you know good you know work hopefully I can get out of it but I don't think them saying you know I was going to go to Hawaii because I hadn't bought my ticket yet was a good good enough excuse uh, darn it but uh, take a vacation take a breather yeah. after jury duty and I will take a vacation and then you know, just take a breath and look around and see. It's going to be a whole new world in some well, ways. Well, I will miss it, though. I mean, you guys are great. Um, at our vestry meeting last week, I was having a hard time getting through my little goodbye speech because it was like, wow, it really hit me after four, four and a half years, and four years as warden, three years as senior warden, this is it. And yeah. yet, it's exciting, and it's time. It is time. Yeah. All good things, but mm -hmm. we are blessed in that
even as one story ends, there's another one that keeps going. Speaking for myself, I know I'll certainly miss your leadership, but we will always have your example and your your legacy here at this cathedral, at this community. (laughs) Of all the times we have looked to you for inspiration, we've looked to you for leadership, and I don't just mean us as a cathedral. I will, I mean, forgive me. I will speak for the clergy as well when they have also looked to you. It's a good thing this is a, I'm just going to say, it's a good thing this is an audio and not a vis- video because I'm turning very red. <laughs> That's very sweet. But there are so many. I mean, I looked to the people before me yeah. who are great leaders. And, you know, it's an honor to join the ranks. I will miss active leadership at the same time. I think it's really good. And we have a great vestry. We've just elected four wonderful candidates. We had eight fantastic nominees. And I just think, like we were talking earlier, the work is just beginning, or the work will continue. And that I'll be very excited to see what you end up doing. And on that, Lynn Markova, thank you so much for being a part of this conversation. But thank you for everything that you have done at St. Mark's and for St. Mark's, and that you will do at St. Mark's and for St. Mark's. This, this parish, this community, this church is immensely better for your service and your presence here. And like you, I am very excited to see what the future holds. Oh, well, Michael, it was a privilege, and I've, I've really enjoyed our conversation. I've really enjoyed working with you and getting to know you, and I look forward to, to seeing the great things that you'll do. But it, it has been an absolute privilege to serve the community in this manner, and I will, will look back on these three years as a major event in my life. Thank you, Lynn. Thank you. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Our music was performed by Michael Kleinschmidt on the Flintrop organ at St. Mark's. Michael Pereira and Andrew Himes produced the podcast, and we hope you'll visit stmarks.org. So long!